Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So um, this week, you were telling me that you were in an experience where you saw people doing a lot of thrashing. That sounded really interesting. Let's talk about people thrashing. Absolutely. And it's funny to talk about people thrashing, because thrashing is something that I heard about first, I think, in my um, operating systems class at university. It's, it's something that system admins would think about a lot. So it's something that a computer normally does. But I've got a situation where I've got a client, and I'm, I'm going to, as, as normal, protect their confidentiality by, by not saying too much about who they are. But I've got a client who is has their team thrashing. And uh, let's define first what thrashing is. So in technical terms, if, you, if you've got a computer thrashing, then what you do is you try to run uh, way too many processes on it, all of which are using computer resources, like memory and CPU and so on. And the computer spends so much time trying to allocate the resources to the different processes, all the different things it's trying to do, that it never actually does anything. So uh, you could imagine opening uh, 500 tabs in your browser or opening uh, uh, 500 copies of a game or something like that, you know, trying to play 500 games at once on your computer. The, the computer would try to handle that. It would, it, would, it would do its very best to try to get um, the, the memory uh, uh, in use by one to be freed up to be used by another and so on. But actually, the time that it takes to do that switching takes all the time that the computer has. And so you can wind up with a machine that is at something like 95% utilization. It's very, very busy, and nothing is happening. And that's precisely the situation of the humans at my client. So uh, to, to briefly describe their situation, they have uh, a very ambitious set of goals, as, as lots of my startup clients have, and they are uh, uh, very complex types of activities. So you should think, uh, you know, um, very, very detailed scientific type uh, activities that they're doing that require a lot of preparation, um, uh, a lot of uh, uh, physical processes that they're working with. Uh, so these are not things that um, uh, you can just uh, whip up in a morning to, to try out a new uh, um, lead generation method and a new landing page for your website. This is much more uh, substantial effort. And therefore, the switching is, is much bigger for them. And they also try to document their activities in tremendous detail. So a lot of their activity is, in fact, writing 20 or 40 page strategy documents about what they're doing. And the result of all this is that they've uh, created a, a spreadsheet, and I couldn't quite tell whether it was percentages or just decimals, but it was it was too many decimals for me. They had people allocated to like 0.03% to this project and 0.07% to that project. <laughs> and you look at that and you say, how on earth can these people possibly keep track? And be, and in fact, they're, they're, they're not getting where they need to go because they're spending so much time on the resource allocation. That the uh, the the and something I often say to folks, and I've said it to them, is uh, you, you want to be looking at throughput. That is, what are you actually getting out to real customers? Where are people getting benefits from what you're doing, rather than utilization? And it seems to me they're really optimizing for utilization here, which is a dangerous thing to do. And Jeffrey, I think you've seen the same thing often. Oh, absolutely. I've seen that many times. And in fact, this idea of um, people who are, are working being busy as opposed to getting output is uh, well, something that's very common. And that various sort of processes that you come across in, in Agile try to combat. And one of them is to have, you know, whip limits, work in progress limits um, to make sure you're, for exactly this reason, to make sure you're not spending all your time uh, thrashing back and forth between different projects. The, the really interesting 
part about your, the story when you told me that this all resonated with me if I'd seen this before, but really made me think this was good podcast material was what happened when you had some intervention there and suddenly they, they did something where they stopped thrashing and they, they, they suddenly had uh, the opposite. And can you tell us what happened next then? What, uh, well, at least for a short time, there's this period where you, the, the thrashing stopped. Absolutely. Well, and, and I shouldn't take any credit for it. They did it on their own, which I was very proud of. So I gave them just the tiniest push toward um, uh, being more focused. And um, darned if, if one of them didn't say, hey, let's be really focused, he even used an agile term. He, he said, let's have a sprint. And so they went off in, in, in a cross-functional way across the whole very small company. Uh, everybody worked on this particular activity and uh, actually made tremendous progress toward a result, which is the first time in a while that they had this type of result uh, in this kind of predictable way. So that, that all sounded wonderful to me, but the problem was that others in the business said, well, hang on, we, we have some plans. And, and th their situation is one where, they, like I say, they can't just whip up something in the morning. There, there's quite a lot of preparation and physical items to get, uh, to get ready, not just, um, not just software. And the difficulty is that uh, when they actually went and tried to do this sprinting behavior, so they were they were focused on a small set of things and in the sprint only on one and getting people across the business to collaborate on it. The problem is that that wasn't very comfortable because folks had made plans for things that they were going to do. They had physical processes going on that take a certain period of time to mature. And, and they were not able to uh, switch those off. And uh, that, that was feel, felt very, very uncomfortable and very inefficient. The problem is that before in the much more quote unquote efficient situation where there was tremendous resource planning and very detailed uh, uh, slicing of tasks into small pieces for everyone to do a tiny bit of, they weren't getting anything done. So <laughs> my response to them was, well, I recognize this is uncomfortable. And one of their very good points was, look, we didn't have any warning that this was going to come. And it's kind of at the last moment and we're doing it against a deadline. And, and this is all uh, very unplanned and inefficient. And I said, yes, you're absolutely right. We would be better if we plan to have this kind of focus. No argument. But this is what focus feels like. When you are focused, yeah. it means you say no to lots of other things and you don't thrash. Yes. The, the, suddenly you had a very clear priority, like one single priority this is what we're all going to do. And then suddenly great progress was made, but actually the, the, it was the resistance to that, that, uh, that people uh, felt is what really resonated with me, because this is something that I've also seen and, and been seen where people will say, oh, this, this has come down now. This is, <clears throat> we're working on this thing. And people will say, oh, it's a fire drill, right? Mm -hmm. Fire drill, clearly a bad thing. And it's like, well, you know, in a sense, uh, maybe it's not a fire drill. Maybe it's an actual fire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is, this is like, this is the real thing that I think that's, that's the challenge is you'll have something that actually is very important is the most important thing, but it's not so clear as a fire. And it's, if, you know, when, when something is a fire and it's like life, life threatening, then people will understand. Yep. We have this interruption. We have to, we have no choice, but it's difficult for people to voluntarily, um, discipline themselves to actual focus, to actual prioritization. Say, this is the most important thing. And therefore we're going to do this one thing. And I, and I was trying to understand about why this is, why is it that people suddenly feel so uncomfortable with it? Is it just a case that they have routines that are being disrupted and they, they just like their routines? Is it, is it goal displacement where they had 
uh, wanted to have a good outcome. And so they designed a good process to get a good outcome. And then later when something disrupts that process, even if it has a good outcome, they are attached to the process when they should be attached to the outcome. I, and I, I'm, there's many different factors that are possible. And I think that's what, what for me, I thought was so interesting to talk about is how comfortable thrashing can feel. Mm -hmm. that having uh, your time sliced across lots of different projects. So you're always busy at work. There's mm -hmm. always never bored. There's always something happening. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm going to be working on project A or B or Q or X or alpha something. Yep. That's so efficient, right? <laughs> if, and if I can't make progress, I'd like to really make progress on A, but I'm blocked on someone else who's not available. No problem. I'll go to project B. And if that fails, then project C, <laughs> like you say, there's, there's a cascade of something that's under my control while I'm waiting for all things out of my control. It, people seem to adapt to that pretty well. Mm. So they might be working on, you know, priority Q, <laughs> but they're happy because they're like, yep, well, I'm doing my part. And, and if you think about the opposite, if you think about what happens, if you're not fully busy, if you're not fully utilized, that feels really empty and useless. And um, it can feel like you're you're stealing from the company because you're uh, doing work, you're, you're turning up to, to earn your salary, but you're not actually doing the thing that everyone else is working on because it may actually be most useful for you to sit on your hands for a bit. And let uh, uh, let let us work at the at the bottleneck to clear the bottleneck in, in theory of constraints terms, and get that cleared. And, but you won't be fully utilized, and that can feel really uncomfortable. I've especially encountered this with folks who have a history in agencies, where the goal was always to remain billable. So make sure that every minute you're spending sitting in a chair at your cushy office writing software or whatever it is you're doing is a, a minute spent that is billable to the customer. And if you always do that, if you're always billable at an agency, you're making money. Whether you're producing value is a different question. But <laughs> that's what can happen if you have a billing agency kind of mindset is you get divorced from value and you get worried about utilization. That's why I'm always talking about we want to focus on what the throughput is. Are we actually getting the results from the process that we're following? Because we could follow the process all day really spread ourselves thin across a lot of different projects and get nothing whatsoever done, make no money for the, the, the investors. This um, tendency of people to want to be utilized, it has a natural counterpart in management who also want people to be utilized. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the phrase, well, we have to keep the developers busy. Mm. You know, we, we, we've got to make sure the developers have something to do. Like yep. the worst thing in the world would be to be paying these expensive people and then not have their time used a hundred percent. It feels like waste. What are, what are we doing? We're, you know, we're chumps if we're paying people and we're not using every second of the time that we've paid for, but that's so wrong. And this is the, this is the, if we take the smallest step back, this is mistaken for lots of different ways. And, and the question is, why is it so hard to see? And one thing you and I were discussing is if you're there, the person making the widgets and maybe uselessly, but you're like, look, I made a widget. There's a thing. It feels good. Yeah. I, look, I, <laughs> I, I produced a thousand lines of code today. I'm not quite sure where they're going to be used or if they'll be deployed or if they'll be erased tomorrow, but at least there's a thousand lines of code. I feel like I did something today. Yep. I went to these meetings and I took some notes and I sent some emails and I, and I checked the documentation and I wrote some documentation, you know, the various kind of work products I can point to. I, oh, I made a diagram. I have a PowerPoint and it feels like progress, but there's, it's so much harder to have a system view to say, well, what's, how does this work in the context of the whole system? 
and uh, this is when we were talking about this, I, I, I thought, well, good thing IT Revolution has this fantastic book uh, by Dimeka Duraners called Making Work Visible, which is, is about exactly this, that it's so easy to have our work, uh, the, the tangible work product is, is visible, but the overall context of the work and the implications of it, when we have things like too much work in progress, like when we have unknown dependencies, unplanned work, conflicting priorities, neglected work, that these things all end up costing us time, but they do it invisibly, in a sense, painlessly. When we, when we try to address it, when we said, right, actually, we're going to focus and some people are going to be really busy and some people will be doing it at the end to contribute and someone else might not have anything to do on this most important thing. That's so uncomfortable. It absolutely is. I remind, I'm reminded of something I read once, and I'm not sure if it's absolutely true, but I, I, I want it to be true, so I'll pretend it is, that <laughs> if you walk up to anybody who works at SpaceX, uh, one of Elon Musk's uh, uh, crazy projects and trying to, to get spaceships to Mars, if, if you ask them, what are we doing here? They said, well, well, I'm, I'm helping us get to Mars. In theory, you're able. They're able to then say, "Well, you know, this uh, strategy document that I'm writing is all about uh, getting approval from NASA to get to the next stage of our tests, which will then allow us to build this, which gets us to Mars." They can they can draw a line from whatever it is they're doing to getting to Mars, and uh, I think far too often when work is invisible, it feels like, "Well, I must be doing something. It must have something to do with where we're going. It it probably would get us to Mars, but you know what?" I'm not really sure if it's going to help us at all. If you get people to be really honest about it, they might say for an awful lot of the work that they're doing. This is this is utilization. I'm being utilized for sure. Throughput, not so sure. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people do think they're going to have throughput because they're only looking locally. You know, they they, they say, yeah, I have throughput. Stuff comes into my inbox. It goes out, <laughs> it goes out of my inbox. It goes to someone else. There's plenty of throughput because again, the lack of the system view. I. I I find it really interesting to um, the, this this challenge between uh, um, the people's attachment to a process and their routine, and the conflict with that with learning and improvement, and in a sense trying to optimize for the situation we're in to be context dependent. And I I have a, a trick that I often used, which is to say, look at it in terms of you know well what's preventing us from being done today. Mm -hmm. People, you're worried that we have a deadline in September. I'm not worried about September. Can we? Can we? Can we be done on Monday? <laughs> can, can we? Can we? Is there anything that prevents us from being done? This oh my afternoon? God, Jeffrey, you're absolutely nuts. What we'd have to do to get done by Monday is we'd have to do uh, Project A, and we'd have to cancel Project B, and then uh, we'd have to see whether we could even find anybody to outsource C for us. Yeah. And and that would take us at least two weeks. Okay, so you're saying we could be done in two weeks? <laughs> oh well, yeah, I guess we could. Exactly. And it's a very, I use it as a very provocative question to, to surface what are the real obstacles to being done. And and very often those obstacles in the surface things that we hadn't actually considered doing before. Mm -hmm. uh, they give us new options. And that very often we want to take those options. And they're, they're things that would not have come up, in my experience, don't come up in the sort of standard routine approach where we have tried to plan things forward looking. For me, there's a kind of pull system. I, I'm trying to start from the end and saying, right, I'm going to pull the output. What prevents me from having it now? And have that cascade back up the chain. And the, so often from this, I, I, I describe what I'm doing to people, uh, not to people, I'm describing to people what I'm doing in the project, in the project management space, saying, I'm trying to do critical path analysis. I'm trying to find those things that are on the critical path to, to, to keep us shipping and Anything that's unknown, 
is on the critical path. So the first job is to drive out uncertainty. And, and so we need to know whether it means on the path or not. And if it's not, well, great, I'm, I'm not going to probably pay attention to it right, right away until we have all the uncertainty done, until I can say, yep, here's as far as we know, this is the critical path. Everything else that was uh, planned, that was considered, you know what, if we don't need to do it, it's not a critical path. It may not get done. It may it's certainly not going to get done right now. We'll figure out a way, but first let's let's figure out this this critical path. Now, I, I was really happy to use the term critical path analysis here because I'm not sure I'm using it exactly correctly, and I'm I'm hoping that one of our listeners will write in and tell me, nope, Jeff, you're doing that's exactly right, or they'll give me the, the correct name for what I'm doing here, <laughs> which is to try to um, construct the critical path for the project, and, and and particularly with this goal of driving out uncertainty. Fantastic. Well, I really like the thought experiment of, of why couldn't we go live Monday? It's not typically something that you absolutely have to do. That you're 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 not. Necess- I've even said things like, well, uh, you know, if we if we had guns to our heads, if uh, if uh, aliens were going to blow up the Earth uh, unless we had it done by Monday, what what would we do? And yeah. and that's not because I secretly have a bunch of aliens who are going to blow up the Earth if if the team doesn't get done. That would be a, a threat that I couldn't <laughs> deliver on. But it's it really does focus the mind on well, what would actually be needed. And it often turns out to be much less than you thought. For example, I was working with a different client, and uh, they've been working on a project for a very long time. And I said, uh, did the same question, what, why couldn't we do it? And, and we discovered that actually we could go live next week. So uh, I think that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so that that was a case where it turned out there was nothing preventing us from doing the uh, surprisingly possible uh, delivery uh, because there wasn't a bottleneck. There wasn't something preventing us. Uh, the only thing that was preventing us was this thrashing that uh, so many of my clients get into and uh, that uh, I suspect our listeners have seen as well. And to kind of come full, full circle on this, I, I think what you and I are describing, we have kind of internalized a process of dis- of disrupting process. Like our, 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 rather than rather than having laid out sort of set of things we're actually going to do, our process involves things that are going to um, potentially change what we had intended to do, and and I and that kind of comes back where in the beginning people are laying out ahead of time, they're planning a process uh, forward, and then they become attached to their plans, attached to their process, attached to the routine. And suddenly when focus comes in, it feels disruptive and, and uncomfortable because it's disrupted their plans and routines and process. Um, I think though it's this, if, if we can look at the system view and think about what you really value, uh, the, the advantage of having a process that is sort of generates disruptions, generates learning, generates new information uh, is a, a more effective way to go. And that sort of attachment to the meta approach, uh, I think can, for me, replaces uh, the attachment to uh, the sort of daily routine. I, I don't know how my um, next week is going to be compared to, to last week. I, I know they'll be different, but I, I don't know how. But I, I'm comfortable that what I'll be doing will be focused on this sort of surfacing of unknowns, driving out uncertainty, and converging onto a critical path, and building alignment on the, on the team as we go. So I have a, a, a meta approach that, that I'm uh, attached to, uh, and, and and feel comfortable with, but of course I'm I'm also happy to to change it if it turns out there's a more effective way. So it's this difference in mindset. It certainly is, and it's a mindset that may feel threatening or 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 challenging. It certainly is not one that uh, I've I've seen people adopt wholeheartedly and say, "Boy, I can't wait for everything to change and for uh, uncertainty to reign and for uh, me not to be sure whether I'm going to be doing something useful tomorrow or not." That that is, when they look at it that way, 
uh, rather than the very positive way you just looked at it, <laughs> they, they often wind up with a, um, uh, a real challenge in adopting it. The advantage is that uh, if you if you can get yourself to adopt it, if you can get to that mindset and get your team to that mindset, you're uh, much more flexible and you can focus on the critical path and deliver things in uh, a surprisingly uh, much more efficient way than you would have in your uh, supposedly efficient, super thrashing, super uh, uh, high utilization method. That's right. Wow. Okay. Well, lots to digest there. I imagine some of our listeners have been thrashing themselves and <laughs> would be interested in, in talking more about thrashing, which of course we're very happy to hear about. You'll, you can get in touch with us on conversationaltransformation.com where you'll find our book, uh, Agile Conversations. You'll find uh, links to us and uh, free material and things to uh, learn more from and videos and all kinds of good stuff. So uh, have a look there, get in touch with us by Twitter, email, lots of other ways, all starting on conversationaltransformation.com. And of course, you can come back and hear what the listeners had to say next week and uh, whatever we uh, come up with to talk about next time. And that will be uh, something that you can get to if you hit the subscribe button on whatever app or, or program or whatever it is that you're using, because uh, we're, we're going to be here next week. Excellent. I'll see you then. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Will.